Amen. I love that story of Ryan. It's so much, nothing better than when the church is not working right and we're seeing amazing grace and people are becoming difference makers, not just making a difference, but they themselves have become salt and light. Also praying for my brother James, man. He slipped down there uh, in the water. So we're, uh, I think we're going to put him on injured reserve when he came. But uh, man, I love it. Three back. We went from one to four, you know, right in one service. So way to go. Well, good morning. My name is David Vaughn. Welcome online. Welcome in the room uh, on a uh, warm, blistering, hot day in Cincinnati. I want to speak from my heart about a few things this morning relative to the topic and the subject and the verse that we have been drilling down on in Matthew chapter 5. I hope you'll hear my heart on some things and that you will leave here. It is my prayer that you'll leave here different than when you came in for a variety of reasons. Jesus had this powerful and profound truth that he uttered in Matthew 5.13. And there's a word in this verse that has been haunting me this week. Here's what Jesus said. You are the salt of the earth. We've been talking about that. Last week, JT talked about staying salty, my friend, moving up from the big people table to the big people table and then feeding others. And talked about even fasting this week, one day and praying. How did you do with that, by the way? Like doing a, you know, putting off something, food or fasting from something to pay more attention to be salt and light. Love JT's new beard. Not a fan of the turmeric stuff that he advocated putting in my food. But anyway, that was good. But we've been talking about you are the salt of the earth. But here's the ver- next part of the verse, and here's the word that's haunting me. But if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? If the salt loses its saltiness, Jesus posed a question, how can we get that back? See, everybody wants to make a difference in our church and in our world, but I'd like to talk candidly today about why so many of us don't and won't unless something changes. And it is because we have, as Jesus articulated, lost our flavor. We've lost our favor. So if we've lost it, how can we be made salty again? I want to try to answer that. Our salt has lost its saltiness. What are we going to do about it? These verses I just read here in Matthew are a plea from Jesus to go back to the basics, which is our theme for the year. Because, here's why it's important. When Christians are not salt and light, and there's a lot of us that are doing this right, there's a lot of us that are not doing this well. When we are not salt and light, the world around us stays dark, unflavored, rotten, and simply broken, which is really what's going on right now. How did we, as a society, but beyond that, I want to talk to church, those of us who claim to be Christians, how did we lose our saltiness? How did we darken suddenly our light as Christ followers? So in a few minutes, I'm going to give you my answer, really God's answer. Mine is just a human, bald human guy. (laughs) have opinions just like you. Mine doesn't matter. I want Jesus' words, God's word, to be heard from you today. 
Now, his words today may sound a little antiquated, old school, judgmental, or negative, but stick with me if you want to know the answer to why we've lost our saltiness. Our world is in deep, deep trouble right now. Would you agree that that is not true? Even those who don't believe in Jesus, you may be watching, you're not sure about this church stuff or this Bible stuff. Even those that don't believe in Jesus know something is skewed. It's broken. It's wrong. And by the way, people in our world are actually searching for the truth Jesus provides, whether they realize it or not. They're seeking to change their world and our world through earthly systems. And that's never going to work. But by anybody's standards, things are bad right now. This past week, we installed a new president. And I just got to tell you, I pray for President Biden and his entire administration. But I have zero hope in him or the government to fix what's wrong. Because what we have in our world is a spiritual problem, not a political problem. And in case you think it's because I think he's a Democrat, could I just say this to you? I had zero hope in a second Trump administration either. I just don't. It's broken. I have great hope that a vaccine will soon be on its way. I can't wait for us to maybe try to get back to some semblance of order and normal. But I have zero hope that COVID will fix the real problem, the root issue of our issue and problem and world of humanity, which is sin. See, that vaccine will take care of our bodies and maybe fix COVID, but it won't fix the real underlying issue of our life. In the church and out of the church, sin. You don't hear a lot of pulpits talking about sin anymore. But I heard someone say, this is important because the heart of the human problem is the problem of the human heart. Until we get the heart right, everything that you see will continue. See, I've been praying for righteousness to be seen. I've been working for our world to be better. I know some of you have too. But it appears to me that just the opposite is happening. The world seems to be spiraling downhill toward disaster even as we speak. I don't want to be apocalyptic to you, but I listed some things that are really not going well right now. The breakdown of the family and marriage. Abortion, although forgivable, is still way too prominent and way too acceptable, and it breaks my heart. I'm, I'm reminded of that on National Right to Life Week. The increase in suicides is greatly disturbing to me, especially among young people. The proliferation of porn is killing some men and families in this church, in this world right now. The corruption of political leaders that are supposed to be representing us is staggering. The incivility of public discourse these days, the curtailing of free speech. It seems to me that no public speaker or pastor can say anything anymore without offending someone and then having to follow it up with an apology. So if I, as a man, ever say anything that offends you, I'm, I'm sorry. But if it's God's word that offends you, get over it. <clears throat> and when you add to this escalation and demise of our country, 
the rise in profanity, which seems to be so coarse today, racial inequality and unrest, the rise in poverty, the rioting in our streets and capital, the ridicule openly of the Bible in churches, not just ours, but others. I talk to pastors every week. There is a great disharmony and a declining attendance and engagement in the church. There is spiritual truth being compromised by spiritual leaders. Man, now I'm depressed. I was here to kind of encourage you, and now I'm getting discouraged. We could go on and on with this list. It seems as though evil is winning, and the church appears to be losing. Our culture... I never thought I would say it, seems to be unraveling right before our eyes. Now, we should not be surprised. This is precisely what the Bible prophesies will happen at the end of time. I used to think when I read stories and scriptures about the end of time that that was something way down the road. I'm telling you we are in the end times now. If the apostles thought they were in the end times, and they did 2,000 years ago, we got to be closer than ever. This is what the Bible prophesies will happen. Check out these scriptures, these prophecies, these proclamations that Paul wrote to Timothy in 2 Timothy 2, verse number 22. There's something here for everyone today. Flee, and this has got something to do with, I'm going to read this verse, how we get the salt and light back in our life. Flee the evil desires of youth. <laughs> Boy, that's, <laughs> that, no, I don't know what age you are. There's a certain age where you are so physically tired when you're older that you don't have the energy to pursue the evil desires of youth anymore. You can't stay out late. You're not, you're pursuing a bed and sooner rather than later. But some of us, even though we're older, our hearts are still pursuing the wrong thing. Flee the evil desires of youth and pursue, here's what we ought to be chasing, righteousness, faith, love, and peace, along with those who call on the Lord out of a pure heart. This is going to be how we're going to get salt and light back. It's got to be something about purity. Don't have anything to do with foolish and stupid arguments because you know they produce quarrels. Any of y'all been arguing with each other? Any of y'all been involved in foolish and stupid arguments and quarrels online or in your family lately? And the Lord's service must not be quarrelsome. Instead, they must be kind to everyone, able to teach, not resentful. Any of y'all resentful? Opponents must be gently instructed. They're not the enemy, friend. Opponents must be gently instructed in the hope that God will grant them repentance, leading them to a knowledge of the truth, and that they will come to their senses and escape from the trap of the devil who has taken them captive to do his will. If there's ever anybody that you just rise up and you're so angry about that you just want to bring judgment and hellfire on them, they are not your enemy. They are victims of the enemy. See them that way. But mark this, chapter 3, write this down, Paul says. There will be terrible times in the last days. And he gives a list of how you know it's the last days. People will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boastful, proud, abusive, disobedient to their parents. Somebody's watching online right now, a kid on the couch, and the parent just gave him the stink eye. See, listen to Pastor David. Disobedient to parents. 
ungrateful, unholy. I mean, this is a list. I was thinking last service, maybe we could, I'll just do a little exercise. When I get to your sin in this list, let's just stand up, okay? I just want you to, no, I won't do that. JT would do that, but I wouldn't do it. Not lovers of the good, he, he, he's unholy. Without love, oh man, without love, unforgiving, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not lovers of the good. When, when did we become lovers of the bad, lovers of the evil? Treacherous, rash, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. Oh, this next verse haunts me on the west side of Cincinnati, where some of us are used to a religion, but not a powerful relationship with God. Having a form of godliness. You got all the trappings, looks good on the outside, but denying its power. Have nothing to do with such people. And then, notice in the two chapters later, he kind of gives the verse that is my job description, and yours too, by the way, if you are a Christian and you believe in being salt and light. Here is my job description. In the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who will judge the living and the dead, and in view of his appearing and his kingdom, it's coming again, I give you this charge. Preach the word. Don't preach your opinion, David. Preach the word, the Bible. Be prepared in season and out of season. When it's hot and when it's cold. When it's snowy and when it's sunny. When there's COVID and when there's not. When the teams are winning that you love and when they're not. Be prepared in season and out of season. Correct, rebuke, and encourage with great patience and careful instruction. For the time will come, I'm going to propose to you right here that this is being fulfilled right now in our age, in our generation, in our day. For the time will come when people will not put up with sound doctrine. They won't put up with the truth. Instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. Oh, the temptation of a leader is to tell you what you want to hear, not what you need to hear. Our job, your job, is with the Word of God to challenge, even when it's unpopular, even when you get a bunch of emails. Don't tell people what their itching ears want to hear. We got a lot of preachers do that. They will, that's going to happen in the end times. They will turn their ears away from the truth and turn aside to myths. Friend, TV journalists and pundits and politicians are not the God-ordained conscience for a nation. That responsibility rests on those of us who call ourselves Christians in the church, especially if we are the called-out teachers and leaders of our world. If we are to be salt and light, the problems with our world don't start with those people out there. It starts with us in here. Many of the minor prophets of the Old Testament spoke in times that saw Israel at its best, but also at its worst. And the main reason for the spiritual moral collapse of of Israel as a country was succinctly articulated in Hosea chapter 4. It says, my people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. They just didn't know. 
I hope to remedy that today. You will know today. You may not like it. You may agree with it. You may disregard it. You will, I will not allow Whitewater Crossing under my tenure on my watch to be destroyed from a lack of knowledge. What he's saying is knowing the right information leads to life transformation. See, Israel's decline also was because the priests and the teachers of the law back then were not themselves distinctly different. And within the next half century, Israel ceased to exist as a nation. Their leaders didn't walk the walk. Oh, they said what to do, but they do as I say, not as I do. I'm a proud American citizen, but just hear me closely now. I'm not lobbying for a new Christian nationalism today. That is not the answer. Been there, done that, got the t-shirt, got the wounds. That's not going to fix our world. What I am pleading for is God's holy people to be God's holy church and be salt and light like Jesus told us to do. Because when the church is working right, there's nothing better, and it is unstoppable. I don't care what, who's in office. I don't care what the economic situation is. I don't care if there's a global pandemic. It is unstoppable. So listen, I want you to be challenged today. Not offended, unless it's God that offends you. Take it up with him. I want you to be challenged, but I also want you to be encouraged. Because when things don't seem to be going the way that you want them to, when they don't seem to be going the right way in your home, at your work, in your school, and in your country, don't get discouraged. Oh, you can be dismayed, and I am. I'm brokenhearted. I'm sad. I'm convicted. But I'm still holding on to hope. Because I know that Jesus, the King, is coming and that no one and nothing is going to stop him from his high and best purposes for this world and for us as a church. You can try fire, but Jesus will quench it. You can try water, but he'll walk on it. You can try putting him in the grave, and he'll break open that tomb and yours too someday. But friend, don't be surprised by the escalation of evil, darkness, and trouble. This is exactly what the Bible predicts will happen. And when you hold up the scriptures that I'm reading today against the backdrop of a culture, it is sobering and convicting. And one of the reasons I believe the world is in the shape it's in now, just get ready, it's because of us. Oh, there's a bunch of other evil forces out there that the devil is working through and with. But we got to get our stuff together. Christians have lost their credibility and their punch. We're no longer the salt and light in a decaying and dark world like we should be and like we need to be. See, being a Christian is radically countercultural, and our culture sadly often doesn't see, to our, my dismay, our culture doesn't see any difference between us and themselves in the world. No wonder they are not listening. Our walk is not matching our talk. They're also not listening because we as a people, as a culture, have lost our distinctive Christian worldview. In light of Martin Luther King Jr. Day this past week, which was celebrated all around the world, Pastor James Emery White, who I follow, wrote a fascinating article 
entitled, Would Martin Luther King Jr. Be Heard Today? He wondered, he posed the question, if Dr. King's words would make an impact with the challenges of our current context. He said, no, he didn't think so. And then he said, why? It was sobering and fascinating to hear his why. He said, because he was a prophet and had a prophet voice, and it was based on a thorough Christian worldview in that era and that generation. A worldview driven by a set of ideas by which you judge all other ideas. You have a worldview. You may not realize it. Do you have a Christian worldview? Or are you taking your view and your notes from everybody else around you in the world that's not redeemed and not salt and light? A worldview is a way to engage constructively the whole range of human expression from a Christian lens or perspective. And Martin Luther King Jr. had a worldview that says, because we were created by God, there is value in each person. There is a someone above the something in this world, outside and beyond and more powerful than our existence, which stands over us as a moral authority. And because of that answer, Martin Luther King Jr. Wrote, could write the immortal words found in his jailhouse correspondence, letters from a Birmingham jail. Some of you may have read that. I hope you did last week. Here was a line from that. There are two types of law, just and unjust. A just law is a man-made code that squares with the moral law or the law of God. An unjust law is a code that is out of harmony with that moral law. All segregation statutes are unjust because segregation distorts the soul and damages the personality, he wrote. See, King's arguments for civil rights were based on the idea that every human being has worth bestowed upon them by an almighty God, regardless of what other humans have to say. King laid claim as that there was a law above man's societal law, and no other worldview would have given King the basis or the power for such a claim. But would such a worldview get a hearing today? Doubtful. Because it was based on something that our world no longer recognizes. And therein lies the frustrating irony that I want to share from my heart today. As a culture, we just celebrated a man's Christian convention, convictions that were used to change our whole culture in the past while simultaneously today rejecting those values as part of shaping our culture now and for the future. It is troubling that the very answer to our problem is what people are rebelling against. Also peculiar, I noticed, and I watched the inauguration, I hope you did too, I noticed that President Biden swore his oath to office on a treasured, ancient, big, thick, <laughs> Family Bible. All presidents wield the Bible. <laughs> Do they really? And don't get me started just on Biden. Trump had an issue with that too. But I thought as I watched the inauguration, look at the elevated position of the Bible. But here's my question for you folks. Do we as a church, let alone a society still swear by and believe the words in this inspired, inerrant book. We have a form of godliness. I'll just put my hand on it. I swear to tell the truth, the whole truth, nothing but the truth. I, so help me God. We have a form of godliness, but we have denied its power. 
My buddy Garth Brooks was in there singing, I love. Anytime country music can get involved in the inauguration, I'm for it, man. He sung Amazing Grace. Uh, but do we still believe in the power of amazing grace to fix our problems? There's a guy named Peter who followed Jesus early on, and he put it this way over toward the end of the New Testament. He made a list. These guys are good at making lists to make it very specific about who we are and who we're not. He said, you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. You're citizens of another nation. Don't get too tied to this one. God's special possession that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness. You're not supposed to be in darkness anymore. Into his wonderful light. There's our metaphor, salt and light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, now you have received mercy. You're supposed to be different. Dear friends, I urge you as foreigners and exiles... This world, friend, it's never meant to, you were born here, but this is not what you're born for. It's another world. You're a foreigner, you're an exile. I urge you to abstain from sinful desires which wage war against your soul. Live such God and goodly lives among the pagans that though they may accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day that he visits us. We're going to talk about this next week, uh, this theme that why, why do we do good works? It's to glorify God on the day that he visits us. Oh, well, Peter's not done. He got another list. Check this out in verse 3. For you have spent enough time in the past doing what pagans choose to do. Notice all your actions you choose to do. They choose, you choose to obey or disobey. For you spent enough time, that's who you used to be in the past, doing what pagans choose to do, living in debauchery, lust, drunkenness, orgies, carousing, and detestable idolatry. I just described to you the membership of Whitewater Crossing Christian Church right there. And I'm actually quite proud because that's who we used to be. In fact, in another section of the scripture, Paul says, that's what you used to be. He's got his own list. He says that you were called, you were washed, you were sanctified. And notice the worldly people, they are surprised that you do not join them in their reckless wild living and they heap abuse on you, but they will have to give account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. Friend, if someone were to look at your life right now, would they say that you are any different than you were a year ago? I mean different, better what would it be five years ago? What would it be 10 years ago? Are you stuck? Are you the same? Or you just blend in with the world and nobody knows and sees any distinct difference between salt and light? If you can't go back to a point in your life and say, that's who I used to be, you're not who you need to be right now. And life change is a result of us obeying God. And it means we're supposed to be different. There should be something that we remember, thank God we're not who we need to be, but thank God we're not who we used to be. A couple of weeks ago, I was talking to a pastor buddy who told me he was on a mission trip once in Eastern Europe with some other elders and leaders from his church. They were invited to visit some places there, and during one of the visits, their host 
dipped behind a bookshelf and brought out a special bottle of drink to toast and celebrate and welcome them. He said, that's not really a big deal, but the alcohol I found out there in Europe, in Eastern Europe especially, was highly distilled with a lot more alcoholic content than is familiar here in the States. And if you've been on a mission trip, you know that the general rule is this. When you visit another country, you don't want to offend the host. You always eat and drink what is set before you. And as their host that day poured their drinks in fairly large cups, my pastor friend took a small sip. He said it tasted like gasoline and burned all the way down. No way is he going to be able to drink this drink. Amazingly, though, he turned to his left, and one of his elders who was with him, who shockingly, he never knew to drink. Shockingly, he was one of the most straight-laced guys he ever seen. That elder picked up his glass and emptied it down, guzzled it right down, and set it back down on the table. This is going to be awkward. My pastor friend did not want to offend the host by not partaking. But at that very moment, the host turned around for a moment, and that same elder who had downed that drink looked over, saw the situation, quickly moved his empty glass to my preacher's friend and got his full glass, making it appear that the preacher had consumed his. And my preacher friend then watched his elder friend drink down and guzzle down that second drink without effect. As they finished the meeting or walking back out to the car, my pastor friend turned to his elder friend and said, thank you so much for jumping in and helping me avoid that embarrassing situation. But how did you do that? And the elder simply replied, I wasn't always a Christian. <laughs> Could you say that about you? Could your friends say that about you? That you are different? See, Peter continues in 1 Peter chapter 4, and gives us, again, some ideas about what he's talking about, what we're talking about today. Notice what he says in verse 12. Dear friends, do not be surprised. Some of us are like surprised all this is happening. In Don't be surprised. At the fiery ordeal that has come upon you, it's here to test you. It's test time. As though something strange were happening to you. <laughs> strange times, weird times. How many times have we heard it? It's not strange to God. But rejoice inasmuch as you participate in the sufferings of Christ. If he suffered, guess what? We're going to have to suffer. See, some of us want the crown, but we don't want the cross. And if we think we have to suffer or show self-restraint or say no to any of our urges and practice self-control, we're out. Oh, man. But inasmuch as you participate in the sufferings of Christ so that you may be overjoyed when his glory is revealed. If you are insulted, and I think we're a society that insulted way too easily. But if you are insulted because of the name of Christ, you are blessed. For the spirit of glory and of God rests on you. If you suffer, it should not be as a murderer or a thief or any other kind of criminal or even as a meddler. Oh, oh there's a sermon right there, meddling. However, if you suffer as a Christian, do not be ashamed, but praise God that you bear that name. Are you suffering because you're too much like Jesus? Or are you suffering because you're not enough like Jesus? For it is time for judgment to begin with the world. Is that what it says? It's time for judgment to begin with God's household. Oh, God's going to judge the world eventually, but not, it's not your job. We got to look at ourselves. 
And if it begins with us, what will the outcome be for those who do not obey the gospel of God? So let me summarize and answer the question I posed at the beginning here. How do we restore our salt and our light? According to Paul and Peter and God, how can we become salty again? My preacher friend Bob Russell gave me a couple ideas. Number one, live distinctive lives. If we want to change our world, you want to change your world, why don't you decide, why don't we decide that we're going to be holy again? Be different from the world. Why? Because he's holy. That means we don't get caught up if we're in the church here. And if you're watching online, you're not a Christian, you know what? That's cool. The stuff I'm talking about right here is exactly why some of you are not Christians. Because you've been watching those who say they're Christians and they're no different than you. Don't get caught up in the addictions, the hedonism, the hopelessness, the angry spirit of our age. Be a light of integrity, a peace shining brightly in a dark, unethical world. Number two, anticipate God's judgment. Friend, can I just speak to you from my heart? Make no mistake about it. Evil is dominating right now, but it won't be forever. It's temporary. And God is no wimp. Eventually in heaven, he's going to say, that's enough, no more. And he will return and judge all of us for the sin in our life. The Bible says, just as God once cleansed the world with water, he will one day purge it with fire. And just FYI, God always does what he says he will do. And one of the things that's helped me self-correct and temper me is knowing that there is a judgment coming someday, and it may be sooner than we think, and I'm going to have to answer for my personal life and my ministry life. And as much as I want you to love me and like me, I care more about what he says than what you say. Because he's the one that died for me. He's the one that gave me this ministry. He's the one I'm going to have to answer to. I want to hear the words, well done, good and faithful servant. Anticipate God's judgment. Number three, be encouraged, though, by Jesus' promised return. Just as Noah's family was lifted above the world's destruction, so we who are believers are called out of this world, and we will be spared God's ultimate judgment. I know it's dark. I know it's bad but the light of the world is coming soon. And that's lastly why we need to get excited about heaven. Peter says in chapter 3, but in keeping with his promise, God's promise, we are looking forward to a new heaven and a new earth where righteousness dwells. Perhaps the reason that I have become so discouraged in my life and about this world is because my hope and my focus is too much on this world. Maybe our anxiousness is a secret inner reminder that your citizenship is in heaven and you shouldn't get too comfortable here. Let me remind you of the words my dad used to sing growing up, this world is not our home, we're just passing through. Don't put your roots or your hopes too deep here in this world because you'll always be disappointed. Even the, the stage, the things that we build here, over, they're not for eternity. They're for seasons. We're going someday to be reunited with Christ, with our Christian loved ones. We're going to be free from sin and pain and guilt and fear and death, but not yet. There's going to be a new heaven and a new earth, and I can't wait to get that new body. Because this one's wearing out. 
Now, you can choose to put your hope in this world that you can live forever, or you can choose to put your hope in God. In Scottsdale, Arizona, is located the Alcor Life Extension Foundation. I don't know if you heard about this. It's a cryonics facility. Are you aware of this? It's the home of the late baseball player Ted Williams' head. They have his body, too, but the two are stored separately. Cryopreservation is the storage of a body or a head in a suspended frozen state. By the way, it's expensive. It costs about $200,000. There are currently 181 patients at that facility right now. I got to thinking, if any one of those 191 patients at Alcor are Christians, they are part of the frozen chosen. That's what I, no, I'm sorry, the, the jokes don't get any better. But the idea for cryonics is that when a cure is eventually found because of technology and medicine, which caused the death of the person, then the body can be built again to attach to the head. That doesn't sound too fun to me. Dr. Ralph Merkel, inventor of public key cryptology, has said, cryonics is only an experiment. So far, the control group isn't doing very well. <laughs> really. Their tagline, you ready for this? Freeze, wait, and reanimate. I'm so glad that Jesus has a different plan for our body. He's going to give you a better one. No more death, disease, crying, cancer, pain. Friend, you're going to have a body like his that's glorified, that lives forever. And you need to take care of your body to be a good steward. But friend, Jesus said, in this world, you will have trouble. I have overcome the world. And let me finish with this and I pray I will give you a word that's brewing in my heart, my spirit. These are high challenge words. But I have seen a lot in my day. I'm uh, be 60 this year. Oh my gosh, 60. I got more ministry behind me than I got before me in some ways. I've seen a lot of Christians and churches. And here's what I fear. I fear that the church and Christians have been tempted to be like the world, to win the world to our cause. And if we're not careful, we will be more like the world than we are like Christ and disappoint both people. I have led many changes here, proud of them, that make it easier for people to find help and hope in Jesus. Ben, we want to continue to change methods and strategies and remove barriers that make it hard for people to come to Jesus. But even though I've led many changes here, I will tell you this, God has not changed. His word has not changed. The blood of Christ has not changed. God's truth has not changed. There is still a person named Jesus who died on the cross for all of you watching online and in this room because we're not perfect and when we believe in him and repent and confess and get baptized just like those folks did it washes away our sin and we're in relationship with him I still believe that's true I believe that no matter how we try to compromise it and make it palatable this is the truth of God's word there is a real heaven there's a real hell and there are real people going there and because of COVID, they're going faster than ever before. What are we going to do about that? Friend, if ever there was a time 
for you to be distinctively different in salt and light. It's now. We are in the last days. Judgment is coming. I kind of feel like Noah trying to preach to everybody, and the only people he won was his family. <laughs> you know, we're doing better than that. We are better than that. It convicts me that some of us think that just attending a church is what it's all about and just consuming. But friend, you sitting here no more makes you a Christian and you parking a car in a garage makes you a car. You, you, you're just, it's just where you happen to be sitting today or watching today. But if Jesus comes back today, my friend, my question is, are you ready? And I fear that some of you are not. I fear that some of my family and my friends are not. And so I'm going to continue to preach with all the passion I can until God calls me home. Until people drive me out of town. Because I care about what's in here. And I'm telling you, this is the truth. And I had a friend say to me that I've been trying to work so diligently on about Jesus who has not made decisions that are right. He watches every week. He said, David, I'm, I don't believe it yet. But I believe that you believe it. And that's good enough for me for now. But I want you not to do it just because David says it. I want you to be convicted by God because this is the word of God and this will not change. And who's ever on this stage preaching and teaching, it will not change as far as if I can help it. And I know we're committed here and JT's committed here and all the teachers are committed to having the word of God wash over us every week. And it is the way to fix our world. And the time, my friend, is short. See, Jesus didn't come just to raise the dead, although he did raise the dead. He didn't come to heal the sick, although he did a lot of that. He didn't come to cast out demons or feed the hungry, though he did all those things. All those things were ancillary to the main thing he came to do, which was to seek and save the lost. That's the only thing I care about right now, seeking and saving the lost. Jesus would have been a tremendous leader of social reform. In fact, Without it being his primary task, Jesus did more to revolutionize society than anyone else since or will ever be. But his work never found him advocating the overthrow of the Roman Empire or its oppressors. It did not find him opposing and lobbying for a corrupt against a corrupt tax system, even though that was true. Jesus didn't wasn't crusading for many of the social issues that many of us hold dear. Just the opposite. He said, if a Roman soldier asks you to carry his pack one mile, I want you to do two miles. When they ask you to pay taxes, I want you to render under Caesar or Caesar's under God's what is God's. He said, there will always be the poor among us. He could have healed all the sick, dedicated himself to relieve human suffering. But the relief of suffering was tempered by his awareness that the most hideous human suffering now and always will be the result of the bondage of sin. So this is a message asking you online and in this room and myself to repent of our sin and decide once and for all if this is true or not. And if it is, we got to get busy. We got to be different. 
I'm, as far as whitewater, I want people to, that's a different person. I don't know what's going on with them, but they're different. And our purpose will always be to seek and to save the lost. It's the main thing. That's why we are salt and light and we brighten with flavor. That's why, friend, we must not lose our redemptive distinctiveness of being salt and light. So my prayer today is that you will leave here differently than some Sunday. Because what happens is, I know how it works. Like you'll be going home in your car. I'm not in your car, but I know what goes on in your car. Like, boy, I really like David's message. I really like JT's message. I really like that song. That I really, oh, what his words were, weren't those true? And then you'll just go and not change a single thing in your life. And if Satan can get you just to say that's good, the Bible says even the demons believe and shudder. It's action. So what will we do with what we have heard today? And will your life change or not? And will you turn your focus to the lost and the least, which is what Jesus came to earth to do?